right. Here on Radio Parallax, we have a few journalists across the country that uh, we, we, we would just open the door to at, at the drop of a hat, one of whom is about to join us, Robert Perry, who broke many of the Iran-Contra stories for the AP and Newsweek. He's a 27-year veteran of Washington journalism, and among his awards is the George Polk Award for National Reporting. Robert Perry, welcome to uh, Radio Parallax. Thanks, Doug. Now, uh, let's let's plug your website, first of all, because consortiumnews.com, I just was, was on it, and it's just a goldmine. Right. We started uh, Consortium News really back in uh, 1995 when the Internet was a much uh, cruder, less, uh, less uh, sophisticated place than it is today. We, we, um, it was a place we, we, we saw as a way to put out some important information that was well-documented, well-researched, but had no real home in the mainstream press at the time. So we started it in 1995, and um, we've sort of kept it plugging for the last uh, almost almost 10 years now. Well, it's, uh, it's, it's got some good stuff on. I've been hearing about it for years, and, and been wanted to have you come on for years. So I'm glad that today we finally, we finally have you. Let, let's talk a bit about a book that you have uh, currently released uh, just two months ago, I guess, Secrecy and Privilege, Rise of the Bush Dynasty from Watergate to Iraq. Right. It was a book that I put together um, in part because there was an awful lot about the, the Bush family that uh, had been referred to in some, in some places but not really fleshed out in a reporting or a documented way. Uh, and some of that information we happened to have because of work that I had done uh, over the years on the Bush family and on a number of the scandals that they intersected with. Um, I chose to start the book with Watergate because uh, that was the first major scandal that involved George H.W. Bush, um, the, the president's father, uh, as he was picked out by Richard Nixon as someone who um, Nixon felt was a bright young Republican who was tremendously well-connected both on the East Coast with the Wall Street money and, and with the Texas oil money. Uh, which gave him a kind of a, uh, a Mr. Fix-It quality that very few politicians had at that time. Uh, now, obviously, Nixon did not have much success in stopping the Watergate scandal, but he did pick uh, George H.W. Bush to be the head of the Republican Party uh, in 1973 uh, with the idea that perhaps uh, uh, Bush could help head off the scandal. Um, as it turned out, Bush did some work in that regard and, and did try some of the tricks we've seen later, but there was so much that poured out about Watergate that Nixon ultimately had to resign. People forget, I think, that uh, in that the classic of American political journalism, the selling of the president, it's detailed how Nixon, uh, after the famous Kennedy-Nixon debates, was looking for someone who was telegenic and settled upon a couple guys he wanted to favor, Senator Howard Baker and Congress, then-Congressman George Bush. Right. Yes, I think Nixon was, uh, was quite astute in seeing the potential uh, for... Uh, for George Bush Sr. as someone who could be a, a new face for the Republican Party and someone who, who could make things happen, who knew the right people. Uh, and we see really that as, as Bush's career develops, um, he's brought back in 1976 to run the Central Intelligence Agency by President Ford because the CIA is all over the front pages. Uh, there's, there are a number of scandals that have rocked the agency, uh, stories about them trying to overthrow the government of Chile or destabilizing it, uh, stories about spying on, the, on American citizens. So Bush is brought in with the idea that he will get the CIA off the front pages, uh, and he proceeds with the, that kind of approach quite successfully, much more successfully than with the Watergate period. He, he really does put a number of the 
uh, investigations of the CIA on the defensive. He, at one level, cooperates with Congress in starting oversight of the CIA, but also manages to, to really to pull up the drawbridges around the, the, the castle of the secrets. Uh, and, that is, and that almost helps Ford um, uh, win the election in 76. But, of course, uh, Jimmy Carter uh, manages to, to hold on to a narrow lead and, and, and defeats uh, President Ford. So Bush again goes into the wilderness, uh, but his CIA connections serve him very well. When he comes back in 1980 running for president, uh, he has a number of very well-trained uh, and dedicated uh, CIA officers who have left the agency because they dislike Carter so much uh, and are trying to help uh, Bush get back in, uh, into power, which they ultimately do through the, uh, even though Reagan is the president and Bush is the vice president. Can, can we kind of uh, sort of at the same time go forward and in, in, in this area you're referring to, go forward and come back to the fact that uh, in the present time there's much talk about the neocons uh, running the, 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 the current Bush administration, but back in the 1970s, I remember so well, this thing called Team B came along that said we need to reevaluate our CIA's evidence of, of the Soviet threat. Can you tell us a little bit about what that what happened there? Right. So the, the the CIA analytical division is seeing signs of weakness in the Soviet Union. Um, basically, the that analysis is the basis for uh, what was known as detente, uh, where uh, President Nixon and uh, Secretary of State Kissinger are trying to build a a, a better relationship with the Soviet Union uh, to at least deal with some of the more dangerous aspects of the Cold War. And that's really made possible by the fact that the Soviet Union is in, already in rapid decline. The feeling of the neocons, however, and some of the uh, sort of the hardline right, was that the Soviet Union was rapidly advancing. Its military and, eco- and economy were growing at a very fast pace, that they were outpacing uh, the United States, and that the United States had to rebuild its defenses uh, to counter the Soviet menace. Um, this, was, this came to a head... Uh, when Bush was CIA director, um, because of the Reagan administration, the Reagan campaign was challenging uh, President Ford and, and actually having some success in '76. So, as a way to sort of appease the right, uh, Ford and Bush let this group of what became known as neocons, including Paul Wolfowitz, who's now back as as Deputy Defense Secretary, uh, into the agency, and they put together a what was called the Team B project which uh, essentially assaulted the CIA analytical division, uh, saying that it was too soft on the Soviet Union, that it was underestimating the Soviet growth and how powerful the Soviet Union was becoming. Mm -hmm. Uh, That later became the accepted position of the Reagan-Bush administration going into the early 1980s and was the basis upon which uh, the rapid military buildup of the Reagan years occurred. We now know that the analysis was false, that the Soviet Union was actually in rapid decline already, but in the meantime, this this uh, this idea was sold that the Soviet Union was ten feet tall and uh, really threatening the United States in ways that were more fanciful than real. Well, I, I had a chance to travel to the Soviet Union six months before it uh, expired in in summer of 1991, and I, and I gotta say, I I had a very uh, profound skepticism of, of of the Soviets being ten feet tall after going there on the ground and looking around. Well, people knew even by just watching the satellite photos of the, of, of of how how unlit the Soviet Union was. If you if you would fly over the 
uh, Western Europe at night, you'd see all these lights, and the same in, the, in, in Asia, and of course in North America. But when you'd get over the Soviet Union, it would be very, it would look like the Third World. It was, yeah. it was a very dark place. There were very few roads compared to the to the West. Um, it was obviously not a place of great success, and they were falling faster and faster behind technologically uh, because they could not keep up with the, the developments of computers and and other electronics. So you had a you had a country that was really uh, falling under the weight of its own inept system, uh, and, and, and the fact that it never really recovered from the, uh, what happened in World War II. But that was not useful. There were a lot of folks in the United States who had a, a vested interest in making them seem more dangerous than they were. We should emphasize, too, talking about the, the Team B, Paul Wolfowitz, I believe uh, uh, Dick Cheney and Don Rumsfeld were an inter- integral part of that. Well, I'm not sure they were on Team B per se, but they were certainly part of that package. Uh, um, Cheney was the uh, uh, chief of staff at the White House during the during the Ford administration, and, and Rumsfeld was uh, was defense secretary at the time. I think you'd agree that uh, when, upon the death of Ronald Reagan, the claim being made that it was Reagan who brought down the Soviet Union uh, because of his standing up and his advocacy of the Strategic Defense Initiative is one of the most preposterous things we may have heard lately. Well, it's just not it's not historically well supported. I, I know it's sort of the conventional wisdom at this point, but it really was a case of of the Reagan Bush team wildly overestimating the strength of the Soviets, effectively building up a straw man that then fell down, and they claim credit for it falling down. But it was it was falling down already, uh, and that's what uh, even Nixon and and Kissinger understood that there was that they that they could deal with the Soviets from a, a position a position of greater strength. Uh, in this, in the detente negotiations that were underway, these were these folks were not soft on the Soviet Union. They were uh, they were tough, cold warriors, but they also recognized the weakness of their adversary. But that became a something that was almost verboten uh, by the time we get to '76. And Ford, you know, acknowledges that the the success Reagan had in the in the primaries, the Republican primaries in that in that year, altered how he viewed this, and he and he forbade his his staff from re- using the word detente to appease the right wing and to help him to help him get the nomination. Our guest is Robert Perry. His new book is Secrecy and Privilege, Rise of the Bush Dynasty from Watergate to Iraq. C- can I ask you about one little sidelight to, um, to this year's election? Uh, there was some thought that uh, there might be an October surprise, maybe Osama bin Laden or others. There were some websites out there, Osama bin Laden, Osama bin Lottery. Uh, that term... I think the October surprise is something that you uh, you talk about in this book. My understanding is that it actually goes back, oddly enough, to Bill Casey in 1968 when there was a fear that the Lyndon, Lyndon Johnson would produce something at the Paris peace talks that might get Humphrey the White House. Well, I'm not sure Bill Casey's role in that, although he certainly was around it. The, in 1968, uh, the, the Nixon campaign was concerned that uh, that success that uh, President Johnson was having at the Paris peace talks in negotiating, negotiating an end to the Vietnam War would help Humphrey win the election. Of course, Nixon had lost very closely and bitterly in 1960. He didn't want to see that happen again in 68. So elements of his campaign, um, most notably Anna Chenault, who was one of his operatives, uh, uh, she, she was, uh, she's from China, and she'd married uh, a, a famous American war hero, uh, and and she was she was in touch with the South Vietnamese government, and conveyed a message uh, to to the leadership there that that they should not cooperate with the peace talks. 
they should they should boycott the Paris peace talks, uh, and they would get a better deal from Nixon uh, after he got the election. So, um, according to these accounts, and they've been fairly verified at this point, the, uh, the, the the South Vietnamese refused to go to Paris. The peace talks collapsed. Nixon was able to narrowly win the election, and the Vietnam War went on for several more years uh, with another 30,000 or so American soldiers dying, along with you know count, countless thousands of uh, Indo-Chinese. So you have there a case where um, that was a sort of an October surprise, if you will. And, and it was interesting because Johnson at the time knew about it. Uh, although he didn't know the full story, he and his, uh, his people were picking up accounts of partly from wiretaps of the, uh, the South Vietnamese embassy that there was something afoot. And they later concluded that Nixon had done this, but they kept silent for years because they felt that if they blew the whistle after the election, that uh, it would just cause such dissension in the U.S. that it would be too harmful. So they basically let it go. It wasn't really disclosed for uh, until, I think it was the 1980s, when Cy Hirsch did his, did his book on Kissinger and included it, and then it was later fleshed out. Well, it's certainly a sordid tale. Um, something similar resurfaces in 1980. Whether Bill Casey, you may have some doubt about, I guess, whether Casey was involved in 68, but certainly um, uh, something was up in the Iran hostage situation in 1980. Bill Casey was involved, and I guess you've uncovered some new documents with the Russian government uh, about that. Right. The you know There's been this issue for quite a while, too, another point in dispute of whether or not the Republicans, in, in their effort to reclaim the White House in 1980, uh, undercut... Uh, President Carter's negotiations with Iran. Uh, Carter was trying to get the release of 52 American hostages who had been seized, and he was struggling with that those negotiations. Uh, and there have been a number of allegations now, really, from a couple dozen individuals uh, from Europe, from from uh, from Iran, from Israel, and elsewhere that uh, that the Republicans had made behind the behind the scenes contacts with the Iranians uh, themselves to see if they could, uh, first, I think, maybe to get the hostages out earlier to somehow assist in that early on in the campaign. But then as, the, as it got closer to the election, the concern became that, uh, that Carter would get them out right before the election, and that would help him. Uh, and actually, the, the term October surprise was largely coined by, by then-vice presidential candidate George Bush, who had suggested that getting the hostages out might be Carter's October surprise although the term has really since been applied more to the Republican behind-the-scenes efforts to block those negotiations or disrupt them. Uh, and now there's, um, you know, there is, there is an, an awful lot of evidence, which I compile in secrecy and privilege, uh, showing how this very dramatic history behind the scenes evolved from 79 through 80 and the role of people from the Central Intelligence Agency in it. Uh, and the Russian government um, was asked, in 1992 by a House task force, which was looking into this issue, what they knew about it. Um, and the House task force was really trying to say nothing happened. And uh, as, as, the, uh, as their time wound down in late 92, after the, this was after uh, Bill Clinton had been elected, uh, George Bush Sr. had been defeated, and it was ending, so the end of the, the Bush presidency, uh, more and more evidence started pouring into the task force showing that the Republicans had made these contacts and had interfered. Uh, still, the, the task force tried to sort of write their report as if nothing much had happened. Um, right before the report was being issued, 
the Russian government returned with its own classified report, which was sent to Congress, a remarkable event in itself, considering the hostility between the two countries over the years. Mm-hmm. And, the, and the Russian um, intelligence committee in, in the Duma effectively told, told the task force that the Republicans had made these contacts, that, that Soviet intelligence was aware of these meetings in Europe, and they implicated George Bush Sr., they implicated Bill Casey, the former CIA director, and other figures from the uh, CIA, in making uh, contacts behind Jimmy Carter's back. Well, it, it turned out. It turned out, by the way, that 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 document, even as remarkable as it was, was then hidden from the American people. The the task force went ahead and wrote a released its dismissive report and hid these documents um, away in a in in a you know in a basically a warehouse situation. And I was able to access them a few years later. Wow! I don't know why this is in front page news. But it isn't. Um, you've been documenting Republican dirty tricks uh, going back a long time. Can we come up to this present election? You have quite a bit on uh, consortiumnews.com about the controversy over electronic voting and uh, how honest this election was. Well, you know, after the election, we, uh, I, was, I did a couple pieces sort of looking to the future and saying, you know, what kind of problems the country's facing, uh, especially with the with the kind of news media we have, which isn't really dealing very well with uh, uh, substance, and, uh, and because of the, the investment the conservatives have made in their own media has sort of tilted more and more to the right, um, I started getting sort of emails from a lot of readers across the country saying, why aren't you looking at the actual results of the, of the uh, 2004 election? So I did a piece uh, looking at the, this cons- there's been a concern of whether or not computers had been hacked to change the results, because as we know, John Kerry, according to the exit polls, was winning right. uh, by several percentage points, actually outside the margin of error, and he was winning in uh, almost all the key battleground states. Uh, and then the results came in that night and, and shocked uh, many of the people who had been following these, these exit polls, because the results were almost the opposite. In six states where Kerry was supposed to win, according to the exit polls, Bush won. And, and instead of Kerry winning 51 to 48, it was kind of flipped, and Bush had won by roughly the same margin. So um, there were a number of Americans who suspected that perhaps uh, some kind of computer hanky-panky had occurred. And so I did a piece about whether that was possible. Um, basically, I was saying there was no real evidence of it. You know, I went back and said, theoretically, we, from the reporting I've done on the CIA work in these areas, it is conceivable that the agency has been able to use cyber war uh, techniques to penetrate specific like bank accounts of drug traffickers, for instance, to delete payments, cause disruption, cause confusion uh, in those kinds of circles. But it was hard to picture how it would be done on a, on a massive scale. And so that was a story that we did. We also, um, actually, uh, my son Sam did a piece analyzing some of the results in Florida, which uh, were certainly anomalous. Uh, there were, you know, Bush had done better in some of the Democratic counties than would have seemed likely. Um, he exceeded by far the registration changes. There had been a lot more Democrats registered than Republicans in those districts. Uh, but Bush was able to score surprising gains. So these are areas which, which, you know, our view was that it might be worth checking them out, seeing if there was anything abnormal in how these, uh, how these results were recorded in many of these cases of course the the uh, there are no, are no paper ballots it's all done with touch screen voting right 
Uh, in some places, however, the optical, the optical um, method was used, which requires a paper ballot, which is then scanned in optically. So one could at least audit to see if, um, if there was any funny business. I, I found myself in Pasadena on Friday and went over to Caltech, where there's uh, Caltech and MIT have this voting technology project to study uh, what's going on. And I spoke with a Dr. Michael Alvarez, as one of the co-directors, about some of these issues. Uh, he was quite skeptical. In fact, uh, on the Caltech website, you can find his study, Voting Machines and the Underestimate of the Bush Vote, which comes to quite different conclusions than... Another one I should probably mention, another study called The Unexplained Exit Poll Discrepancy by Stephen Friedman, Ph.D., University of Pennsylvania. That's available at stfreeman at sas.upenn.edu. Um, you've got conflicting studies here. The, the people at Caltech uh, claim that um, the Florida panhandle results, although, yes, there's a Democratic bias in registration, they did vote for Bush uh, four years ago, and they don't, they don't see a statistical... Uh, edge here. People certainly have focused on Florida and Ohio. I asked him about Ohio and said, what, uh, what about the results? Is, are there some, is there a study going on of the Ohio results? And he said, no. Uh, doesn't, doesn't it all hinge on Ohio? First of all, in the case of Florida, well, what he says is true that in, the, in these fairly small counties in the panhandle, there has been this voting pattern, but that's not what we looked at. Yeah. Uh, our article looked at Miami-Dade, Broward County, the counties in southern and central Florida, where, this, where these anomalous patterns also occurred, where you do not have just the sort of the, the I guess you might call them the Reagan Democrats who are yeah. voting Republican, even though they may have kept their registration with the Democrats. So, I mean, I think there are questions in Florida just in terms of this oddity. Uh, and and same, in, same in Ohio, there have been, uh, there have been anecdotal cases of where one, in, one, in one fairly small precinct, Bush got 1,000% more votes than actually were cast for him. Now, it may, these, these may be isolated glitches. That certainly happens in any complex uh, event like an election. Uh, our only point was, if, since so many millions of Americans are deeply suspicious of whether or not their votes were tabulated properly, wouldn't it make sense to at least audit some limited precincts to see if, if, if indeed the votes match up with the paper ballots? And if that happens, fine. Then People can feel confident that that Bush really did win, and they and they can also feel confident that their votes were tallied properly. It doesn't make a lot of sense to simply speculate, and I think we are seeing now in Ohio at least the possibility, because some of the third parties have asked for recounts, that there will be some testing. But that's I think the point we've been making, and I think you can theorize as as one professor did that the odds of the the exit polls being wrong like they were is astronomically small. That they really couldn't be wrong that often, uh, based on the scientific polling results. Or you could look at what the, you know, your, the your person at Caltech was saying that uh, that is is all explainable. But the key thing is not theory, but if you, if one can actually test the hard results. I'm sure that there'll be ongoing statistical analyses and recounts in, in Ohio. I certainly hope so, and uh, and hope that you can come back and speak with us again about that and other things. Well, I hope about so too. That. Robert Perry, thanks for speaking with us. This book is Secrecy and Privilege, Rise of the Bush Dynasty from Watergate to Iraq. Uh, he has quite an illustrious career, 27 years, award-winning journalist, and um, we're grateful to have had you. Thank you. That man does some very good work. His reporting on Iran-Contra was really groundbreaking uh, for the Associated Press and Newsweek. 
and I, I really am looking forward to, to having him uh, having him back on this uh, program. Um, as we end this segment, I do want to go back to that unexplained exit poll discrepancy, and I hope that statisticians out there will read both the Caltech Voter Technology Project uh, analysis, voting machines, and the underestimate of the Bush vote, because there's some graphs here I'm sort of grappling with. Um, uh, the tone of this is extremely skeptical. In fact, let me just quote a sentence from this. Starts out by saying, a series of claims have been made in recent days alleging that discrepancies between exit poll results and the presidential vote in certain states provides evidence of malfeasance in these in those states. These claims seem to be concentrated on states using electronic voting systems. Part number four, we conclude there is no evidence based on exit polls that electronic voting machines were used to steal the 2004 election of President Bush. Well, I think that uh, Professor Freeman at the University of Pennsylvania would have some doubts about that, and I would refer you, please, and I hope some of you will take me up on this, to look at the sixth page of that document, a statistical prediction of Kerry's true percentage of the vote in Ohio, which shows that his tallied vote appears to be well outside the 99% confidence limits based on a statistical analysis of a reasonable sample size on exit voting. And we would quote, uh, to end this segment, Dick Morris who's now a Republican consultant and Fox News regular, who said the following, Exit polls are almost never wrong. So reliable are the surveys that actually tap voters as they leave polling places that they are used as guides to the relative honesty of elections in third world countries. When I worked on Vicente Fox's campaign in Mexico, for example, I was so fearful that the governing PRI would steal the election that I had the campaign commission two U.S. firms to conduct exit polls to be released immediately after the polls closed to foreclose the possibility of finagling with the returns. And um, I, I should add one more. Tom Hartman of Common Dreams was the person we quoted last week on the program. And uh, let me just give you the actual uh, quote. Noting that when they count the ballots in Germany, even though it takes a week or more to count the vote, the German people know the election results the night the polls close. Because the news media's exit polls for two generations have never been off by more than a tenth of a percent. Okay, statisticians out there, help us with this. It seems that even at Caltech, Dr. Alvarez, who is skeptical, does note that across the country, the statistical tallying of the expected carry victory across the United States was highly statistically significant and highly wrong. Of course, the election takes place on a state-by-state -state basis, and that's, you know, in, in those cases, you can quibble about statistics. But again, you have to ask the, ask the question, how could they be wrong by several percentage points when you have a very large sampling size across the nation? Where statisticians know the larger the sampling size, the more accurate the data is likely to be. Stay tuned as we follow this one. You're listening to Radio Parallax. I'm Douglas Everett, and this is KDVS 90.3 FM, Davis, Sacramento.